0: Or you can return to your seat during the prayer if you feel so inclined, or you can continue your conversation, but I would advise against it. I'm just kidding. Jesus, Holy Spirit and Father, you're great. We love to come together to think about you, to be with you, to talk about you, to get to know you more. I asked this morning that, that some healing would happen in our hearts, healing in the realm of our image and our understanding of you, that we could have an honest family conversation about some things that maybe have been locked away in the attic for a while of, of some of our hearts, and some of you guys are like, oh no, <laughs> Don't be afraid. God, thank You that You have nothing to hide from us. Thank You that You have nothing to fear. Thank You that every single part of You is nothing but good and loving and merciful. You're gracious and compassionate. You're slow to anger. And you're rich in love. So this morning we come to you and ask that, that our awareness of you, our understanding of you, would come more into alignment with the reality of you. And spirit of truth, move in our midst. Do your favorite thing, which is revealing Jesus and the Father in us, to us, and with us. Amen. So good to have you all here this morning. I'm really excited. I I get to talk about something that makes me nervous. Which I think is a good thing. Let me tell you a quick story and then I have a question for you. So Sarah and I who Sarah's not nathan today. Did you notice? <laughs> Why don't you three go out to Starbucks or something? Why are you here? Go shopping. Maybe later. Okay. I love it. So Sarah and I were in Thailand at a conference, and we were hearing this speaker who was blowing our minds with the goodness and richness and bigness of of God, particularly Jesus. He was talking about Christology and how Jesus is the center of everything. He's the one that holds everything together and and how good Jesus is. And we get that because who doesn't love Jesus, right? He's, He's easy to love for the most part. So Sarah's getting all inspired and challenged and just captivated by this picture of Jesus. And then she goes back to the hotel room and makes a really big mistake when you're in that kind of mode. And the mistake was that she opened up to the Old Testament. Some of you were like, did he really just say that? So she opens up to the Old Testament. She was reading through the chronological Bible in a year. And she happened to be in the part, I think it was in Deuteronomy maybe, The part where Moses, God's faithful servant, has been serving God for decade upon decade upon decade. You remember the story. We'll talk in more more detail about the story later. But basically, Moses, who had been serving God faithfully, has a little temper tantrum, disobeys God, and God says, well, sorry, Moses, but here's the deal. You see that promised land over there that you've been leading all these people towards? Well, guess what? You don't get to go in. You're going to die here on this hill. Thank you, by the way, for your faithful service. But you're going in time out for a long time. And Sarah's reading that, and she's just conflicted with the reality of, wait a minute, so Jesus didn't seem to be like that yet. Why does the Father seem to have such a temper or seem to be so impatient? Now, there are some great stories of God's compassion and tenderness and the mercy in the Old Testament, aren't there? But let's be honest, is that all there is? Come on. Have any of you ever felt like Sarah felt? (laughs) The better question would be, have any of you not, right? If you haven't, you probably haven't read the Old Testament. So the thing that I want to do over the next few weeks and years, no, I don't know how long, but over the next few weeks at least, is say, what can we do to maybe bridge the gap between this God of the Old Testament and Jesus. It's almost as if it's like our father. Think about your earthly father for a moment. Think think about if there was this attic in your house. And from the time you're little, your dad always says, okay, whatever you do, do not go look in that attic. Because there's some things in there I don't want you to see. And, And one day your curiosity, your dad's off maybe on a trip, and your curiosity gets the best of you. And so you go, and you break open the lock, and you're exhilarated and terrified, you're scarified, but you go and you break open the lock, and you go into the attic, and you find some things out about your father that really aren't that flattering. I won't fill in any details for you, you can fill them in for yourself, but it would do something to your understanding of your father, and that would overflow into your relationship with your father, wouldn't it? Maybe you found out, what if you found out that your father had been an assassin in another life? Or a mercenary. I mean, maybe some of you, your father was. I don't know, but, but that would do something to your understanding of your father. It would, my guess is it would make you hold something of yourself back from him. Because you would say, well, can I totally and completely trust him with who I am? So the reason that we're talking about this is because it has to do with trust. It has to do with getting rid of these things where we say, well, yes, God is good, but then under our breath or in our hearts we say, except for that one time, and then there's that other time, and then that other time, and then you realize, whoa, maybe I'm not so sure. We know that God is good is the right answer, but then we have other things that we justify it with. We say things like, and, but God is also holy. Okay? Go tell my boys that about me. I'll go, never mind, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rein it in. But you guys know what I'm getting at, don't you? What do we do with some of those things? What are some of the stories in the Old Testament for you where you're just like, I don't know what to do with that? Just Somebody write these down. Just throw out a, a term or two that, that brings our mind around to the story. What are some of those stories for you that you're like, man, I kind of wish that we could just take that out of the Old Testament? Some of the skeletons in the divine closet, so to speak. Come on, Laura. Hmm. Like in the Book of Numbers, God tells Moses, "Go and kill the Midianites and kill the women and children, but keep the virgins for yourself." And you're like, "Hmm." All right, let's talk about that one in church, right? Let's let's use that in our put that in our tracks. You probably don't put that in a tract, do you? Yeah. Yeah, what are some other ones? The old kind of stoning, right? Yeah, if your daughter's caught in adultery, stone her to death with rocks. And you're like, seriously? One more. Come on, I know you guys have them. Yeah, Dan. Yeah, 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 what is the deal with that? (laughs) The kids, if you couldn't hear that, Elisha, uh, Elisha, right? Yeah, the prophet is being mocked by these kids, is what it says, and they're yelling, hey, baldy, and all this stuff, and he literally, like, prays and a bear comes out of the forest and mauls them and kills them in the name of God. You're like, uh, yay, whoa! Uh, I would have been doing the same thing the kids are doing, and I'm, yeah, I know there's more to that one for you, but like, you're like, how dare you call somebody? What do you do with that? Yeah, okay, Beth, last one, probably Noah, right? Noah, yeah, 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 yeah. Can I add a few more to the conversation? There's a girl in the book of Judges that gets she gets raped and her body is cut into 12 different pieces and her body parts get sent out to the 12 different tribes of Israel. And you're just like, this is like a worse than a slasher film. In the Bible and we're like, "Hey kids, you know, let's I'm thinking like I want Joshua needs to be 18 before I let him read the Old Testament." Because there's just some stuff in here that it makes your stomach turn. So what do we do with that? OK, Torah, last one. <laughs> Let's try that sometime. <laughs> Maybe that's what, what's in between Coastlands calling and our reality right now. Maybe that's what we need to do. Yeah, there's just some random stuff in there, right? And so, What I'd like to do is start the conversation this morning about what are some things that could at least maybe take the edge off of some of those. I don't have great answers. I don't have all those things figured out, and some of them I don't think we ever will, but can we at least start a dialogue to say, well, what could we do to maybe bring us to a greater place of trust that God is maybe actually fully and completely good? Can we do that? You going to add a story for us Nady? Uh, mhm. She remembers it. That's good. I okay. Know. Spoiler alert. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Good. Okay. Well, then I've done my job, and I, I can go home now. No. <laughs> Thank you, Nadine. See, the thing is, we can read the Bible and read the Bible and read the Bible, but it can push us deeper into this sense of terror about who God is, right? So how do you actually read the Bible in the way that Jesus did? in a way that actually more fully and accurately represents the nature and character of our beautiful God. There's ways to read the Bible well, and there's ways to read the Bible poorly. So this next little bit, partly, is going to be about how do we read the Bible well. So let me tell you a few stories. Uh, Well, actually, no, let me give you some quotes by some, let's see here, um, just, you know, to make sure that we're in good company, and then I'm going to have to blaze through these, but um, a guy named Richard Dawkins, some of you have heard of him, here's... Here's his very kind and generous statement about the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, megalomaniac, and capriciously malevolent bully. Now here's a way of saying that in terms that I understand. to quote somebody on par intellectually with Richard Dawkins, Homer Simpson. He said, Yay, God's happy again. Wait, God's always happy. Wait, no. God's always mad. There's wisdom from Homer Simpson. I get this. So we're, we're not the only ones that think about these things. So, one of the ways we're going to frame this, one of the ways that we need to come to the Bible, anybody seen this series? Anybody seen Lost? All right, so here's the deal. It took me a long time to give in and start watching this because I had seen Castaway. Remember Castaway? And we had friends that would go to these Lost parties every Tuesday night for, like, years to go watch Lost. And I I was just thinking they're watching Castaway over and over and over. And so I'm like, are you crazy? So finally I gave in and we started watching Lost. If Those those of you that are familiar with it, you're going to know who I'm talking about. You recognize this, this character here. What's his name? Jin. This is Jin, the Korean character. The first few episodes of Lost, this is what you see. You see Jin giving really dirty and controlling looks to his wife, like looking at, he'll think that her blouse is buttoned too low, and she'll be with another guy just having an innocent conversation, and he's giving her these really dirty looks, and you're thinking, wow, he's a really controlling husband. And then, one scene, you see Jin... In the water, they're on an island. So he's in the water and he's literally punching the face in of this black man named Michael fighting him over a watch that somehow you know, caused some altercation. You're, you're starting to build these judgments in your mind about Jin, aren't you? If you've seen it, you're thinking, wow, this guy is a jerk with a capital J. One other thing you see early on is you see a flashback to Jin's family life in Korea. And he's in this home of another Korean man the man's family is all around and Jin is literally just beating him half to death, like within an inch of his life, throwing him around his living room. This is what you see. And, I mean, what at this point are you thinking about this guy Jin? How many of you would want to spend time with him? Oh, you'd, you'd want to stay away because we would draw these conclusions about the kind of person he is. Let me tell you another story real quick. So, Joshua was about 18 months old, maybe, maybe two years old. I'm standing with him on the corner of our YWAM campus in Arvada, Colorado. And basically, I have him in my arm, like this, and somebody looks out the window of a nearby, of our office building, they look out the window from the second floor, just in time to see me lay a just reverberating smack right on his backside. Like, like pretty powerfully. Like, loud as lightning and quick as thunder. Um, you know. But what do you think that person is thinking about me when they see that? Do you think that they're tempted to draw conclusions about the kind of person I am? Yeah, they're thinking, that's child abuse. <laughs> it was on his butt, not his back. <laughs> no, yeah, I heard Dora say, no, it was, it was square on his hiney. Like, my hand still stings from it. No, it was, it was a substantial little swat. Now, this person that turned around to see that, they probably did start drawing some conclusions about me, didn't they? Now, let me ask you this. If they would have turned and seen just a minute earlier that Joshua, as a two-year-old, was running out into the street, and if they could have heard me yelling at him to stop and realized that he was not stopping, that there was a car coming, and they'd seen me run out into the street, grab him, and in just a moment of kind of primal instinct, just swat him on the butt because he did not listen to me, would that change anything about how this person felt about me or the conclusions they would have drawn about me as a parent? Absolutely, right? Now, we're not a spanking family. We aren't judgmental against those families that are spanking families. We just aren't a spanking family. That's probably the, maybe the one time um, there's been a maybe just a couple times we've ever spanked Joshua, we've never spanked Zachary and Nathan, okay, we spank him no, we don't spank Nathan. But something changes in your understanding of me, your conclusions about me, when you have a bigger picture of the story, doesn't it? Let me give you a couple other examples and then I have a well so Jen, let's let's go back to some of the things we learned about him quickly. As the story progresses, you realize that Jin's wife's son had actually been unfaithful to him. And so one of the reasons there's so much control and so much this kind of watching her like a hawk dynamic to their relationship is because their relationship is on the mend. And he's been wounded. He's been jilted by her. It doesn't justify his actions, but it gives you some perspective, doesn't it? And you find that when he was at the beach, when he was beating this man, Michael, you realize that Michael had ended up with a watch that was very valuable. It was given to Jin by his father-in-law, who was also his boss, and he was supposed to deliver it to somebody, and his life was kind of on the line for it, and his job, and his honor. So it was important to Jin to get that watch back at all costs. Then you find that when Jin is in this other man's house during the flashback, he had actually been sent there by his father-in-law to kill this man. And instead of doing that, he beat him within an inch of his life, but he didn't kill him. He was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Now, now, does that excuse Jen's behavior? Not necessarily, but does it give any of you a little bit more perspective, a little bit more grace, maybe, on him? Anybody? You can say no, and I'll just be like, you're so judgmental. No. It, it most likely does. Let me hold off on that quote real fast. Who's seen the movie The Sixth Sense? Yeah. How about the movie The Book of Eli? Yeah. Now you know where I'm going with this. Let me give you a quote real fast. This is the thing we need to keep in mind when we read the Bible. In every great story, there comes a moment, an event, that no one anticipated that no one saw coming. But once it happens, the whole story needs to be what? Reinterpreted in light of that event. He's an author. He wrote a book called The Shack Revisited. The whole entire story needs to be reinterpreted in light of that event. Isn't the movie The Sixth Sense a great example of that? How many of you guys watch to the end of The Sixth Sense, and then you're like, oh, that was cool? No, you go back and you watch it again, don't you? With a whole new set of eyes. In the book of Eli, at the end you're like, he was Muslim? Muslim? No, I'm, that's not what happened. I'm not going to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it, but he was a college professor? No, it, you, <laughs> can I, you guys have seen it. But you, you watch to the end of this movie, and you're like, whoa, that changes everything. But what would have happened if you would have started drawing conclusions at the beginning or even the middle? You get way off of what's really happening, don't you? But isn't that what we do with the Bible? How many of us dig into the Bible and we jump into a specific passage and we start drawing conclusions about God, trying to say, well, what does this show us about God before we even have the full picture? This is so obvious. Some of you guys are like, why are you even saying it? But do we do this? I remember referencing back a little while ago, encouraging you all to come to the Scriptures more like you come to a movie. Where we actually wait on drawing conclusions until we have the whole story and then things start to make sense. So the story, the event, the moment in the Bible is actually not a moment or an event at all, is it? It's a person. Five minutes. The whole entire Hebrew Scriptures point to the person of Jesus, and here's the deal. They all must be interpreted in light of who Jesus was, if they are to make any sense. Not only that, but the nature and character of God needs to be understood in light of what Jesus revealed. For example, this is John chapter 1. Jesus is on his way to Galilee and he finds a man named Philip. He says, hey, come with me, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip finds Nathanael and says to him, guess what? We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip recognizes that everything in the law and the prophets, which is the whole Hebrew scriptures, is all pointing to Jesus. Let me give you a couple more things and then we're going to walk through a story real fast. Well, actually, hey, let's walk through a story right now. Give me uh, two volunteers. I need two people that are sick of sitting and one at Beth. I knew you'd be one of them. All right, Beth, get up here. You're going to be a disciple on your way to Emmaus. Give me one more person. She's, she's only one. Coastlands, we are horrible at math. I'm embarrassed. Cammie, get up here. Your speaking part is so short. It's only two paragraphs. Cammie, you don't have a speaking part. Get up here. Look, at she's such a willing volunteer. So... So this story is found in Luke 24. You can kind of read through it if you want. You can have it open or you could just listen. But I'm going to go through it really quickly. Luke 24, after the resurrection of Jesus. There's these two disciples and they're walking along this road towards, they're walking on the road to Emmaus. They're about seven miles outside of Jerusalem and they're, but they're super bummed out. They're not smiling and happy at all. You can hear the Avril Lavigne song, So Much for My Happy Ending, playing in the background. And they're de- dejected because, pause, walk slower. <laughs> I haven't even told you what to do yet besides walk. Okay. <laughs> You're looking sad. They had given up their lives, three years of their lives, their career, their calling, their families to follow this person they thought was the Messiah named Jesus. Jesus winds up dead, and all of their dreams were wrapped up in him. How would you be walking if that had just happened? You'd be like, well, let's go to 7-Eleven. No. You would be bummed. So Avril Lavigne playing in the background. So much for my happy ending. And they're dejectedly, let's walk back this way. Let's try it again. Take two. So we're walking back, and all of a sudden, this stranger appears out of nowhere to them and they're, they're talking about what's going on and the stranger appears and says, hey, what are you talking about? And they say, well, we're talking about what's going on the last, uh, last few days here in, in Jerusalem and the stranger says, what things? And they're like, what, have you been living in a cave or something? And he's like, how'd you know? What, what, who, who told you? And, they start walk, and he starts asking them, what are you talking about? What's going on? And they say, well, what happened was this guy, Jesus, who we all thought was the Messiah, was killed, and now basically everything has just not turned out like we wanted. And then something beautiful happens. Jesus says to them, well, actually, Jesus tells them, he says, this is who I am. He opens their eyes to see him and to understand the Scriptures. And this is what they say is, Jesus, this is one of the beautiful things. They're walking along. And Jesus actually pretends like they have to stop. They get to their destination. Jesus pretends like he's going further. He's just like, all right, well, cool. Take care. And they invite him to come along. Fortunately, I don't know why he just acted like he was going to keep walking. He reveals himself over a piece of bread. He opens up the scriptures to them. And then he just disappears into thin air. Wow, never a dull moment with Jesus. And look at the line that one of them says. After this, did not our hearts burn within us? Oh man, isn't that what a Sunday morning should be about? Our hearts burning within us from an encounter with the living God? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, Jesus reveals to them what the whole Hebrew scriptures were about. And you know what it was about? It was about him. And a little bit later on, he appears to a larger group of disciples. I need 24 volunteers. No, I'm just kidding. Now you two can sit down. Thank you. Um, he shows up to another group of disciples, and he does the same thing. And it says, he opened their minds that they might understand the Scriptures. And this is what he says. He says, it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, so that repentance and forgiveness of sins, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. My paraphrase, this is what it's about, that I will come and absorb your shame and I will put death to death so that everyone from here to the ends of the earth can begin living as new creations in a new creation. That's what the whole story is about. It all comes back to me, Jesus says. He says, you want to know about the flood? You want to know about the Amalekites being killed? You want to know about this? You want to know about this? You want to know about the God that they think was behind that? You want to know what this God you've been trying to follow is like? This God looks like me. And he says that over and over and over. He tells his disciples, I and the Father are one. He says things like, the Son only does what he sees the Father doing. He doesn't say to a point because sometimes the Father gets a little out of hand. He doesn't say that. He says, I and the Father are one. If you want to know what the Father looks like, He looks like me. If you want to know what the Father does like, He does like me. If you want to know what the Father loves like, He loves like me. He is the image of Hmm, That word image is loaded to the Hebrew mind, isn't it? Human beings were made in the image of God. Jesus is the fullness, the completeness, the full reality of the image of the triune God. Now this is just worded so superbly, I could not leave it out. And then I'll tell you what this means to me, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. This is from the message. Remember, there's my little disclaimer, right? There's the Bible and there's the message. No one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse. This one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father, He has made Him plain as So what does this mean? This means to me that whenever I come to a story of the Old Testament, and it makes me wonder, wow, could the Father really be like that? You know what I do? I go and I say, well, what does Jesus say about that, and what does Jesus look like? And if there is any incongruence, if there's any gap, if there's any division between what we see of the Father and what Jesus showed us of the Father, you know where I go? There must be more to the story that I'm looking at that I don't understand, and maybe someday I will, but in the meantime, I'm sticking with Jesus as the lens through which I understand all of this, because if not, I'm going to be in trouble. One student in a group I was speaking to put it this way, you remember Cracker Jacks? Remember how Cracker Jack boxes have these little decoder rings inside to you have to have the decoder ring to figure out what it means to figure out what it means He said Jesus is the decoder ring in the Cracker Jack box of life and I was like yeah a lot more than that but it's true everything we want to and need to understand about the Father we need to find in the face of Jesus So over the next couple weeks, I'm going to show you a few more pieces of things that we need to look at and be aware of as we come to these stories because really there is goodness and there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's more to the story, and we would do well to not draw conclusions about the Father's heart, the Father's intentions, the Father's character, the Father's trustworthiness, before fully listening to Jesus, absorbing ourselves in the lives of Jesus and saying, okay, Jesus, show us what else is going on. We're going to go through some of those stories, hopefully in some detail. The flood and some of these um, families and tribes that are killed. I think about Achan, the man that went off to war, and he comes back with all these goods from battle that he wasn't supposed to have taken, and his whole entire family gets stoned. Like, what is going on? So can the character of Jesus help us understand something here. And my practical encouragement based on this is next time you come to the scriptures and you're tempted to draw conclusions about the Father, hold off on that and pretend like you're watching a movie and say, well, wait a minute. Let's wait for this moment of Jesus and let's see how he causes us to reframe and reinterpret everything going on. Pretty simple, isn't it? Isn't it ridiculously simple? But isn't it maybe a new habit for some of you? It is for me. Now, that was the easy one. The next two Sundays are going to be a little more fun. Not more fun. A little more involved. Um, Can I give you a hint about where we're going next Sunday? Here's the hint, and you can be thinking about it in the meantime. Most of you indicated that you kind of pulled back a tiny bit on your judgment of me when you realized why I had spanked Joshua, because he had been running to the street. So what we're going to talk about next week is, are you saying it's okay if Sarah and I have a disagreement or Sarah does something that I don't think is good for her, for me to just spank her? Sarah's supposed to keep beef and pork low on her diet because of her kidneys. So if I see her eating a hamburger, and we're out having a Coastlands lunch, which, by the way, I don't know, I'm excited to see who steps up to do that. Could have done without that. But anyways, so we're having our little Coastlands lunch, and Sarah's eating a hamburger, and I walk up to her, and I'm like, baby, we talked about this. And I smack her on the butt. Would you have less judgment for me? And what could that have to do with how we understand the Old Testament? Okay one of the things we love to do is we love to actually make space here some we have some first time people here but one of the things